All right. Hey, everybody. Um, it's been a couple weeks since I have been here in person with you um, so that I could interact with you. If you watch the recordings, then you know the last couple of weeks, what I've been talking about is how to know the difference between what we call the ego and then what, we, what, I, what I decided to call clarity. Um, clarity. Um, I chose not to call it inner wisdom. I may have slipped and called it inner wisdom a couple of times. I don't know. But uh, purposefully, I wanted to call it clarity. And the reason I wanted to call it clarity is a, it's a very subtle uh, little difference, maybe. But, you know, when I first started listening to what I called Holy Spirit and that I now call inner wisdom in order to be less Christian in the language, uh, when I first started listening to it, I felt like I, Regina, was listening to another. And uh, first of all, not everybody has that experience ever. You know, some people just never have that experience. And secondly, even if you do have that experience, at some point you have to let it go. Because this feeling that I'm whoever, right? I'm this person and I'm listening to this wise thing beyond me, uh, keeps the sense of duality alive, keeps the sense of separation alive. In fact, when I was scribing in TI one day, I was vacuuming the guest room. And as I was vacuuming the guest room, I heard the inner voice that I listened to as I wrote in TI. I heard it come into my mind and it said, um, you know, someday you'll have to let go of me. Uh, and, and then it was at the end of the scribing of the teachings of inner Ramana where I was taught about the resistor, the doubter, and abiding, and maybe we'll get back to that, but I was told to move into the abiding, which is the being. I was told that I had listened to inner wisdom enough to know that it was always accessible, so I didn't have to listen to it as if I was listening to an other anymore. I just needed to be it. And at that point, the experience of hearing an inner voice, the experience of listening to inner wisdom went away, but clarity did not. See, once upon a time, the clarity appeared to come while I was listening to what appeared to be something else, right? But even when that appearance of a divine something else went away, the clarity remained as a part of what I am, right? It is a part of me as what I am. So, when I was sharing over the last couple of weeks, at least the goal was to use the word um, clarity, that, you know, what we need to do, and this is my opinion, you might think, find spiritual teachers out there who don't agree with me, and I'm, I'm fine with that, but what I'm sharing with you is what I really, truly um, want to pass on because I think it's critically important, at least it was in my experience. What I was trying to share in the last couple of weeks was the difference between the ego, which is the sense of me as a person, what that sounds like, what that looks like, and clarity, which is what I really am, and what that feels like so that you can begin to discern. Because based on my experience and my experience only, I know that there are spiritual teachers who will disagree with me. Uh, 
You can't know yourself if you keep thinking yourself the ego. I feel pretty strongly about that. You know, if I still think I'm the one who's annoyed by hot weather, then I still think I'm the body, the person, the mind, right? How can I be what I truly am if I think I'm annoyed by hot weather? You know, I can't be both. So for me, what's always been very important was, first of all, to learn the difference between the ego and clarity, and then to take the next step. And when the ego shows up in this mind to disregard it, not fight against it, not say, oh, my God, I'm the worst person in the world because this thought showed up, right? <laughs> none of that, just disregard it because that's not me. You see, it's a thought that showed up in the mind, yes, but it's not me. And to only act and behave and speak my true self, right? And so that's what discernment is for me. Discernment is being what I know myself to be and not being what once a time I thought I was, but now I know I'm not. Um, it's interesting because a lot of non-dual teachings, which I'm very fond of, uh, they teach a lot about looking to see what you are, noticing the constant self, noticing the changeless self, practicing self-inquiry, abiding as the I am, but they don't teach time teaching you what you're not. And so what happens is, and, I, and I'm sure some of you have seen this, is there, there becomes this stage that a lot of spiritual aspirants go through where they're becoming aware of awareness. They're aware of awareness is constant because if you look at it enough, you can't miss that fact, right? Uh, but at the same time, as soon as that thought comes in, you're an asshole. So you're an asshole, right? I mean, it's like they haven't stopped being what they aren't because no one has helped them how to see what they aren't. So an important part of my teaching, because it was an important part of my path, isn't only realizing what you are, but it's also realizing what you aren't and then making a decision to only act from, live from what you are. Now, that doesn't stop the ego thoughts from coming into the mind. It just means you see them and you choose not to be that way, choose not to do that, choose not to say that, because why would you act like something that isn't you? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, what I want to do first, since in the last two weeks um, I wasn't here, I want to start by allowing you all to ask questions. Because if you choose to um, start practicing discernment, start disregarding ego, start living from your true self, then you need clarity. This is the first piece of clarity I was ever taught. You need clarity on the difference between what, what you are and what you aren't. 
You need to know that when that thought comes in, oh my God, I can't stand this weather, that that's what you aren't. Because the constant nature that you are doesn't have a judgment against the heat or the cold or hunger or anything else, right? And you actually can live from your true self. You know why? Because that's what you are. You know, but you have to be, you have to want to. And then you have to make the decision and you have to practice. And just like when you were learning to walk, you'll fall down many times. And then just like you did finally learn to walk, you will finally learn to live from the true self. So again, what I want to do tonight uh, is since your clarity is required for you to start practicing discernment, uh, I want to help you get to that clarity by answering any questions, any points of confusion, anything at all that would be helpful. So I do have something else I can go to if there aren't questions or if the questions don't last the full hour, but I would like to start by opening it up to questions. All right, we have a question. And Lena, I think if you're, yes, if you're seeing, yes, there yes, you go. Yes, yeah, I see you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello, Regina. Hi. Very nice, very nice to see you uh, with us. I'm, I'm studying also your previous uh, clarifying teaching uh, because uh, I joined uh, maybe two, three months ago. And um, this is uh, my questions uh, will be toward the topic. You said in, I think, number nine, you said that ego is a small blip of error thought within reality. And uh, my question is, uh, how did error happen? Is it happened because of VR? Uh, one, we made that error, or it's like a virus, and uh, we were just uh, sweeped by that error. Uh, how did it happen? Yeah, well, of course, uh, I don't know if I can answer the question fully. I don't know that any anyone can. Okay, so I'll just say that right off the bat. Um, but uh, the clarity that I have received, as you know, you've already been through the teachings of the four principles of God, right? So the clarity that I received was, you know, the first principle of God is reality. Uh, the first principle of God is pure potential. Think about that for just a moment. The first principle of God is pure potential. Well, out of pure potential, it is natural for something to come into being, right? So out of this pure potential, what came into being was a sense of presence. Uh, one thing that people often call it is the I am presence, but it's the sense of not a human at this point, but it's the sense of I as a being, where that I as a being is not in the first principle of God, but that's the second principle of God. I often call that subject awareness. Well, once this subject of awareness came into being, it was then natural for I to want to be aware of other, right? I and other. And so this is when the creative principle came into being. And through the creative principle, 
the world and, you know, as the Tao calls it, the 10,000 things, you know, just all the differences. And now the I is aware of what appears to be not I, but the truth is the same I is looking at me from over there, right? But the I has now an experience of what appears to be not I, and then a belief in that as what I am. That's the ego. And it's not just an experience now. It started off as just an experience, but then it becomes a belief. This is a Regina, that's a George, and we are not the same thing. And that's, that's the ego. Um, I have also just in my own experience, my own meditation and my own contemplation looked at, because in a way, what I just told you was a story. Uh, in fact, anytime anybody tells you anything about how we got from the absolute to here, it's a story. It's always a story. Uh, so in a way, although the stories can be somewhat helpful because they're stories, they're also somewhat meaningless. So what becomes more meaningful isn't how did we get here? What's more meaningful is how do we stay here? Because that's happening right now. Right. So what I have noticed in my own meditation and in my own contemplation is that attention seems to be made up of awareness, but in a way different from awareness because attention moves and awareness doesn't. And you can actually watch this happen. We've played with this. in, the, in the, the clarifying the teachings before, and I'm sure I'll do more awakening games on it too. But you can notice, for example, like again, if you send your attention to your foot, you know, you'll start noticing the tingling in your foot, but there's an awareness that sees the attention move. The awareness that sees the attention move doesn't move. The attention moves from foot to head to the noise outside, right? But yet, when the, when the attention goes to the foot and becomes aware of the tingling, that's awareness. So attention seems to be made out of awareness, and yet somehow it moves where awareness doesn't. So this is one thing I noticed. The other thing I noticed is that thoughts come into the mind from nowhere, right? They just, out of nowhere, boom, they're here. Now, what I noticed is that when a thought comes in, and attention goes to that, that creates a reaction that is ego. Mm -hmm. So you see, that's what we're doing. If the thoughts came and went and came and went and attention never went there, there would be no feeling of I as a person, no feeling of I can't stand this warm weather. I keep using that example because we're in in an unair conditioned place. So, um, So it's an easy example to use, although it is cooling off right now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the reason I think I can't stand this weather is because a thought came in, attention went to that thought, and now there's an I who can't stand this weather. So, uh, So the way ego gets created over and over and over and over again, moment after moment after moment after moment after moment, is attention to thought. So that means that if we really want to let go of ego, see that we are ego, 
one of the things we need to learn is to quit placing that believing tension on all of these thoughts, even if the thoughts show up. And this is called, you know, letting go of thoughts, right? Um, if attention goes to a thought, then you have to have some kind of a practice to let it go. But if you learn not to put attention on thought, these, tension, these thoughts just go by on their own. They come from nowhere, they go back into nowhere, and, and they have no meaning at all. Um, so again, the short answer, even though that was very long, the short answer to your question is ego, the appearance of ego is just a reaction that occurs when attention lands on a thought in a believing way. Yes. Uh, and then, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And then uh, I can postpone the next question uh, because it would be again uh, toward uh, what practically impossible to answer. Does it mean that uh, a group of people who were caught uh, so much in ego appears here, but uh, the rest uh, who are very wise and smart, they'll sti still uh, uh, have uh, joy being in consciousness? Can it be this way? Because we are kind of, I understood, we are kind of error. Uh, because I didn't understand the last thing you said. Say that again. Uh, how I understood we represent the error. We are all here, humanity, we are error. Uh, oh, no wonder I didn't understand that. <laughs> okay, well, let me, I don't know if this is true or not. So let me say that. But let me say, tell you what I see. I don't see humanity as the error. I see humanity as the evolution of consciousness to an intelligence that has the ability now to realize the error and correct it. I see us as the collection. That's a big, big difference, right? Yeah, big difference. Total big difference. difference. <laughs> <laughs> and I like it more. Yeah. And it may take time because not all of humanity has caught on to the fact that they're the correction. But, you know, like my dog, uh, my dog had a very tough two years. I adopted her at two years old and she had a really rough two years. And uh, she still has some very... Uh, well, I'll just call it negative conditioning. For example, she's afraid to eat around people because she's afraid that uh, you're going to sneak up on her and beat her while she's eating. Um, uh, she can't look at that, you see, because she's just a dog. All I can do is gradually, gradually, gradually try and get closer to her while she eats, try and teach her nobody's going to hurt her. But she can't look at her thoughts and say, is it reasonable? You know, I've been with Regina for two years now. Is it reasonable for me to think Regina is going to beat me while I'm eating, right? She can't do that. But a human can. See, a human can question their thoughts. So that's why I think humans evolved to be the correction. We have a capability that the other beings on this planet do not have. Yeah. I've heard that... Go ahead. Sorry. I've heard that um, many spiritual teachers uh, are saying that uh, because uh, we torture animals, uh, this is the cause for wars. 
Can it be that uh, I mean when we raise them on human way in farms uh, and, and then slaughter them, can it be that uh, animals also because everything has consciousness and uh, their terror is going back to consciousness and they're coming back to us and uh, we are sharing all that uh, uh, horror uh, which uh, they had. And then we are correcting it. Yeah, uh, I think it's possible, and I have to use these words again. I think it's possible that as humans do learn that they are the correction, and as humans learn to be the correction that they are, that the consciousness of the entire planet, including animals, will, will raise because it's all one consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know that for a fact. And in fact, um, my process is not to think about things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like that, that then the mind goes into story, the mind goes into imagination. Uh, I might meet somebody who believes differently than I do, and it might go into debate. So I try to stick with what I know, which has to do with my own personal practice and what's going on right here, and then just let the rest of it Perfect. take care of itself. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, then the last question uh, exactly toward uh, our practice. Um, but right now you made an example with hot weather. What exactly we need to do? Because uh, I listened to you, I listened to the other, and the old um, teachers are clearly uh, saying this we don't need to do, this we need, don't need to do. Let's uh, discuss uh, your example with the weather. Because uh, I obviously will feel hot. Uh, how should I react? What should I do? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Uh, the process that I went through, because I'm not bothered by hot weather or, or cold weather. Um, you know, I mean, if it's cold, I bundle up. If it's hot, I, in this case, turn on a fan because there's no air conditioner. If I had an air conditioner, I'd turn it on, you know, but I don't have one. Um, so I, I still do what's normal and practical. But... Uh, what used to happen if it was hot or if it was cold beyond a certain temperature, right? Where there was a thought that came into the mind that I didn't even see that went something like this. I'm in hell. Mm -hmm. And see, and that's what's happening to people. Uh, and then they're just believing it and they're complaining. So what I learned to do was I learned to care more about learning what was in my mind and questioning that. And so when these thoughts would come in, I can't stand this, or I'm in hell. Is that true? You know, let's pause. Let's look at the body. Yeah, the body is warm. Yeah, there's some sweat here. Awareness is constant. You know, I'm not in the desert without water dying. You know, I mean, I just, I paused, I looked, I questioned, and eventually these thoughts that I was just automatically believing, which were leading to the reaction, uh, they, I guess they stopped showing up. You know, I stopped believing them and then they stopped showing up because, you know, if I'm hot, I might put on a hat sometimes that makes it better, uh, turn on a fan. Again, I still do these things, but that grumpiness does not exist anymore because the thought wasn't it, it, what, in other words, 
it wasn't the heat on the body that was causing the problem. It was still believing the thought. I can't stand this. I hate this. I'm in hell. That's what was causing the problem, not the temperature. It never was the temperature. It was believing the interpretation that showed up in the mind about the temperature. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, you clarified it. Uh, I thought about it, but uh, you did it very clear. And if, for example, uh, we need to discipline uh, the children, it doesn't mean that we need to be angry, that we need to be right. upset, that we need to like uh, less love them. We still need to continue to do that with love. Yeah, but they still need to be taught. And guess what? If I'm their parent, it's my job to teach them. Yes. 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 And it can be done without all that other stuff. Was that your question or somebody else's question? I don't remember. Should I go to that now? Did you send that to me? No. No? Okay. Well, somebody sent me a question about raising children. So why don't we pop over to it and then I'll, and then I'll come back. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Regina. Sure. Thank you. So let me read the question that I got about children. Um, so I'll just read the whole thing to you. Uh, I wondered if... As part of clarifying the teachings, if you might riff on parenting a little. <laughs> so we're going to riff. <laughs> I'd be so grateful. Uh, I'm on day 28 of gentle healing year two, and I'm giggling to myself as I notice that Holy Spirit doesn't include the caveat unless the doubts and fear are related to your 15-year-old daughter <laughs> at any point in the whole book of NTI Matthew. In other words, uh, you know, NTI or, or is not saying, you know, be patient, be calm, listen to me, except for your 15-year-old daughter, then you need to take control. That's what, that's what she's saying, which I think is funny and true. She says, so I'm learning that fear and judgment of her behavior interfere with my ability to hear guidance. That is very true. So I've been le leaving behavior unaddressed until I've rest, accepted, and trusted my way to peace. That is exactly what I did. At that point, I'm over it, and it doesn't seem right to go back and address whatever happened. In most cases, I felt the same way. Sometimes I felt guidance to go back and talk to her about it. But in most cases, <clears throat> I felt the exact same way. It's been pretty simple to rest, accept, and trust. But I don't have confidence in my ability to hear more proactive guidance like speak up and say XYZ to her in this moment. I think it's related to fear that speaking to her in a corrective way triggers a defensive reaction in her that doesn't seem helpful. Here's what I found in my experience with my daughter. If there was any ego at all in my speaking, she reacted in a defensive way. And in fact, that became my clue that I still had ego in my speaking. If there was no ego in my speaking, she heard me. Sometimes she would go hmm, and turn around and go in a room and slam the door, but I got the hmm, right? I got the hmm, which meant she heard me. Um, so I actually did learn that if my daughter got very defensive, it is because there was enough ego here 
that she perceived it as an attack, right? She was attacked, and so she was defensive. So I'll read this paragraph again, but it's been pretty simple to rest, accept, and trust, but I don't have confidence in my ability to hear more proactive guidance like speak up and say X, Y, Z to her in this moment. I think it's related to fear that speaking to her in a corrective way triggers a defensive reaction in her that doesn't seem helpful. I'm sure that's related to all the ACIM and NTI teachings on attack. See how clear this person is? Even when I'm trying hard to teach and not attack, she perceives my guidance as attack. Uh, one thing that we do as parents, and it's very difficult not to do this, is we think we know what's best for our child. So sometimes when we're, quote, correcting them, um, we aren't just teaching them and then leaving it to them to make their own decision. We are actually still trying to control them. Uh, and that is an attack on, on a human. Uh, and it feels like an attack. Now, it's different with a two-year-old. Don't get me wrong. Two-year-olds and 15-year-olds aren't the same thing. But a 15-year-old is near adult. It's about time. It will be time in three years, as a matter of fact, <laughs> to let her go her own way and make her own mistakes. And what's happening at age 15 is she is being weaned, right? She is being weaned from mama. She's learning to make her own decisions. So whenever we are talking to our children, we want to remember, ultimately, the decision is theirs. It's their life. If you can keep that in mind, then there won't be control. There will just be advice. You know, just if you make this decision, then this is what you could experience. You know, these are the consequences. You know, you could possibly go this way instead. And here's what that might look like. But the decision is theirs. Very hard for parents to do, but a 15-year-old is three years away from an adult. Um, very difficult, I know. But we have to remember they aren't actually ours, especially when they're adults. So if watch, watch within yourself if you are remembering that this is her path and ultimately she's going to make the decision for better or worse, or if you are trying to control. And if you are trying to control, she is going to feel attacked because she is nearly an adult now. Just like if somebody tried to control you, you'd feel attacked, right? No difference. No difference. Except she still needs a little more guidance than, than you do, maybe. <laughs> Let's hope uh, that you don't need guidance anymore. Let's hope you're fully listening to yourself now. So... Um, I feel like Holy Spirit is reassuring me that the more skilled I get at rest, accept, and trust, the shorter the perceived lag will be between her behavior and my peace with her behavior. Then in that peace, I'll hear guidance that would be relevant in the moment. I think I'm hearing to just rest peacefully and practice listening to guidance and less triggering areas of my life, knowing my daughter is okay because all is okay. And yeah, listening to guidance and less triggering areas of your life is um, perfect. 
Another thing that's also very helpful, and of course, I don't know for sure what you're doing, um, but I know what most people do. One thing that's really helpful when you're talking to your child is your you know, teenage child, again, we're not talking about a two-year-old, um, is to ask questions. Often we tell before we ask. You know, we tell before we're understanding their perspective. Um, it can be very helpful to take the time to see how they are seeing first. Uh, then uh, empathy can open up. You know, again, I don't know what your child is doing, you know, um, but for example, when I was a teenager, uh, I had sex with more boys than maybe I should have. <laughs> uh, but if you were to, if somebody had stopped and asked me why and really listened to me, what I would have discovered and what they would have discovered if with enough questions was that I felt like the most unworthy person on the planet. And I was hoping to find somebody that loved me enough to tell me that wasn't true. I didn't discover that perspective until I was much older. And certainly nobody else ever discovered that perspective because nobody ever sat down and tried to help me understand myself. So asking questions before rushing to judgment can be very, very healing. Uh, I might have just answered my own question, but if you have any insight or practical guidance to share, I am listening. I remember Byron Katie waited on the couch for her daughter to get home every night, knowing she was driving drunk, until finally one night the daughter collapsed carefully into her arms and asked for help. That was some pretty bold parenting. And in line with what these scriptures teach, I feel grateful I'm just dealing with some self-centered entitlement. Oh, good. A messy bedroom. Oh, good. And quiet moodiness. Oh, good. Those are all, you know what those are? Those are normal 15-year-old behaviors. Sounds like your daughter's fine. <laughs> In fact, another thing that I was taught by, uh, by within with my daughter when she was 12 and she did certain things to say, that's what 12-year-olds do. When she was 13 and she did certain things to say, that's what 13-year-olds do, right? Some of this is just normal, right? So uh, it does sound like that you aren't dealing with um, some of the really hard problems that come. Be grateful for that because there are people who have, you know, really hard problems that are much more difficult to deal with. Watch for trying to control your child because that will feel like an attack. Ask questions. Learn what you can let go of. You know, maybe her room can be her way, right? She's three years away from an adult. Pretty soon she's going to have a dorm room or an apartment or something. Let her figure out how she wants to live there. Um, Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. So, all right. So, moving on then. Uh, is it Amit? Amit, tell me how to say your name and then, and then ask your question. Thank you very Amit. much. I know who you are. I just have never said your name. We've written, right? <laughs> yes. We did so speak, much. actually. We did speak. We so, did. maybe I should not say your name. <laughs> <laughs> no, your, your teachings are wonderful. I really treasure them. Thank you so much for them. Wait, I didn't uh, hear your name. Say your name again. Amit. Amit. Okay, go for it. Um, I guess my, my question is, is um, um, extending upon what you were talking earlier about the first principle of God. Um, the, the voices and the guidance that we get, um, there is clarity that, you know, all the rah, rah, rah is ego. Then there is this non-judgmental 
loving, inclusive guidance that you get. I, I'm imagining that that's the second principle, the I am consciousness. But a lot of non-dualistic Advaita teachings talks about just silence, pure awareness. There are no questions, no answers, no guidance coming from there. And, and those teachings sort of uh, skip the, the I am guidance-based um, uh, conversation that goes on or, or the messages that you receive from the Holy Spirit or, or I am. So I've, I've done both the practices where I've tried to go from this rah, rah, rah to just pure silence. Yeah. But I've also had these, these, this phase in my life for many years where I was guided by this spirit. Um, but then when I started to listen more on non-dualistic teachings, I, I, I ignored those, that voice, because I, I thought that that was also coming from mind. Yeah, well, and, and, and it is. <laughs> right. So, so, uh, so one thing that I was taught early on, which I think does not show up in a lot of non-dual teachings, um, I was taught that all of mind is illusory. All right. Yeah. But part of mind is pointing toward the world and getting you more involved in the world and ego. Part of mind is pointing out again. So it's right. still illusory. And one reason it's illusory is because in reality, the only thing that's true is the first principle or the absolute. So you could call it the right minded part of the dream. Um. In fact, uh, in NTI Revelation chapter one, it's very clear that uh, symbols, it calls them symbols, will be sent to help you. And that you're to listen to them and to follow their guidance as long as it's useful, remembering that they are symbols. You know, uh, you know like one of the things I listened to uh, that was helpful to me was Inner Ramana which appeared to be uh, a voice from a disembodied master named Ramana Maharshi. Would you believe I don't believe any of that? Hmm. And yet I listened to everything it told me. Hmm. You see? Part of the dream. But a part of the dream that's pointing out. And right. I've, shared, I've shared this story before. I don't know if you... Uh, you know, we're listening to me yet, but uh, it, it's actually a cartoon. There's a cartoon called Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. And in this cartoon, he has this friend named Carl. And Carl is afraid to go to sleep at night because every night when he goes to sleep, there's this monster chasing him. And so Jimmy Neutron, who's a genius, creates a projection machine. So that while Carl is sleeping, Jimmy can go into this projection machine. He can project his image into Carl's dream. He can see Carl's dream. And then from within the dream, he can give Carl guidance, right? But Jimmy's never actually in the dream. It's a symbol of Jimmy, right? It's not real. It's the same right. kind of thing. It's, it, it's, it's bizarre because people think, you know, if, if I'm going to listen to a voice from a master named Ramana Maharshi, I need to believe that or I can't listen. It's not true. You just need to recognize the wisdom. It's almost like a self-correcting mechanism that's been placed in the dream. Yeah, and, and it, it will show up in any, way that, in any way that you'll listen to it. 
Right. And do you suggest as a practice to stabilize in that first before going for the all mighty awareness, all watching? I think that in one way or another, every, I don't know about stabilize, but everybody moves through that. For example, Michael Langford, whom you know, uh, Michael Langford would never talk about an inner wisdom or a Holy Spirit or anything like that, or grace. He doesn't like the word grace, right? But if you read his book, Man on NASA, which is the biography, his autobiography, right? He talks yeah. about how at age 10, when these things started showing up in life and other people to start believing them, something showed up in his mind that said, is that true? What was that that showed it? Now, he still just sees that as an idea in his mind. But isn't that the same thing? What yes, made is that true show up in his mind at age 10 when it didn't show up in anybody else's mind at age 10? You know, the self-correcting mechanism was already working. But it didn't work as Jesus showing up or it didn't work as angels showing up. It just showed up as a thought in his mind. So that's all he sees it as. It's still the same thing. Right. So we don't need to label it with a name and form. It's just a, a truer part of consciousness. Yes. And I love your term. I'm going to steal your term and I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. It's a self-correcting mechanism. I like that. Thank Anything you. Else? Thank that you. Helps a lot. Thank you. All right, Anish. Regina, can you hear me well? Yes. Regina, I really enjoyed the oh, recordings. Oh, oh, wait, you're back. You're going in and out. What's going on, Anish? You got technical issues? Is this better? How is this? That's good. That's good. I can make changes if you have any issues you're on your end. Okay, I'm good now. So, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for the recordings. They were really helpful while you were away. Um, I'm clearly seeing what part is coming from the ego, right? The judgment or the reaction, the commentary, the belief in thoughts. Um, so this is a two-part question. First of all, there's huge momentum still to go with it. Huge. I mean, I still go with it, knowing that this is part of you know ego. I see it, but there's just too much momentum. Uh, Got to react. And the second bit, Regina, is even when I don't react to it, I know this is coming from ego. I don't know clarity enough to know how I should be acting then. Meaning, as an example, you know, the teachings say that the higher self is unconditionally loving or non-judgmental or uh, eternally peaceful. But that's not my experience because I haven't really experienced, I, I don't have, it's not my own experience that this is the case. So I feel like I'm in, in a bit of, okay, I won't act on this because I know this is ego, but then, then what's next? I, I fall in like a no man's land here. Yeah, I understand. Um, I can only tell you what I did, you understand. So take my, take my answer with a grain of salt. Uh, I spent time every day for multiple years inquiring into my thoughts. Uh, so it wasn't just, oh, there's a thought, that's ego, I'm going to ignore it. 
there was that strong attraction, just like you have this strong pull to believe this thought. And, and I would set down uh, at the earliest convenience and journal into that. So for example, uh, let me see if I can remember a real example. My past is so far away from me now that it's hard. This is why I created that playlist, because that's when I used to remember stuff, right? The early teachings. Now I don't really remember anymore. It's very difficult. Um, but the one that's coming to my mind was there was this woman at work that I did not like. I mean, I just did not like her. Every time I saw her coming, it was like, oh, you know, here she comes again. So what I would do is I would take that home. And first, I would write down all the reasons I don't like her. I don't like her because she's a bully. I don't like her because she wants everybody else to think the way she does, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then I would go back and I would look at those thoughts one by one. Is it true that she's a bully? Um, Would that be every person on the planet Earth? Would that be their perception of her? Mm, Probably not. So where does that perception come from? Here. Then why do you project bully onto her? I don't feel confident when I see her coming my way. And I just start looking into this stuff, right? And as I look into these quiet things one by one, pretty soon that thought shows up. I don't like her. And I realize that's just an interpretation. And then I'm going to change her name, but hey, Mary, what's up? What do you want to talk about? I mean, it, it changes. Then when the thought shows up, I don't like her. I'm not believing it anymore because I very carefully inquired into it. So it wasn't just, I'm not going to believe that, right? There was a process I went through. I have an entire chest, you know, a a big old chest in my house full of my journals. I, I wrote pages upon pages upon pages inquiring into thoughts until I no longer believed them. Does that answer your question? That's helpful, Regina, because I see I do the first bit. I won't believe this, but I don't really do the homework that comes after, right? Why is it that I don't believe it? The inquiry into it so that the next time it comes up, it's, it's much more diluted or softer and I'm able to let go of that sooner. Yeah, I'm not doing that bit. That's very helpful. Yeah, and one thing that I think is very important about inquiry is it has to be honest. You know, like... It can't be trying to be a spiritual person, (laughs) if you know what I mean. It has to be honest. So, like, when I'm inquiring into this, not liking this person, I'm inquiring into this thought, she's a bully. Is that true? Well, it's true that it's my perception. But is it true that everyone would see her that way? No, that's probably not true. So, whose perception is it? You see how honest that is? But I'm not not denying. I'm like, no, I don't actually think she's a bully. You know, I mean, I'm being as honest as I can and looking as carefully as I can until I am able to see through my own self-honesty that my thought about her as a bully had nothing to do with her. It's everything about my own insecurities, my own projections, and that what I really want to do is work on that and stop believing the silly thought that I don't like her. Because that's just distracted from working on my own stuff. Yeah. 
Regina, I see that my ego's grabbed on to me wanting to be a spiritual person as well. I think it's. I've never liked to be a spiritual person. I've told people that forever. Don't be a spiritual person. Just stop it. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, who would you be? You know, I mean, ask these people. They know me. Am I a spiritual person? Ask Jacqueline. Come here. You know me. T- can tell them how friggin' spiritual I am. She's not. <laughs> okay, that wasn't a very long story, but I think I've heard Jacqueline tell the longer version of that story. I think it was you, Jacqueline, wasn't that said that when you came to visit oh, me? Oh, that's the story. Yeah, come tell that story. And we have 10. Oh, yeah, we have plenty of time. Come tell that story. Um, well, before I uh, came to Pueblo um, to uh, see Regina, to be with Regina, to meet Regina, um, I was in spiritual community somewhere else. And that's what we did. We were spiritual people. We acted spiritual. Um, and we always talked about spiritual stuff. And um, and so when I got here, the first day I got here, we went on a hike. And I said something, Regina, whatever it was, some spiritual, Regina, do you think God did this, that, or the other? And she said, I don't know. I'm just trying to hike here. <laughs> That's the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not a spiritual person. I know it doesn't look that way if you only see me when I'm teaching. But if you come to La Vida and hang out with me, uh, you'll find, I mean, certainly during a retreat, I do my job teaching a retreat. But uh, I'm not a spiritual person. I think that is actually just another uh, ego mask that keeps yes. us all screwed up trying to look a certain way. Yes, I see that a lot, actually. And I'm just trying to be very honest about it. That yeah. It's trying to create this image, but it's all coming from the ego, right, again. Yeah. It's yeah. It's good to see that. In one of your past videos, Regina, you talked about when you were talking to an interviewer that awakening to the truth was the only thing you wanted from this life, that that is the only thing you really wanted. Um, where does that sincerity come from? And, and how do you know that it is honest? And how can I tell that that is really what I also want, or I'm just fooling myself, right? Maybe I'll be happy and content and I'll drop off the path and just live the rest of my life. Doing uh, nothing. Well, the, the answer to your first question about where does that come from, believe it or not, is I don't know. I don't know where it came from. That's the honest answer. Uh, But the rest of it, um, you can tell if it's real for you by what you're doing with life. You know, like um, what I do with life is let go of ego, surrender, practice listening, you know, practice being the clarity. I do this no matter what's going on, no matter how small no matter how big, it's my go-to. So that's how I know it's real for me. It's not something I have to remind myself once of, you know, every now and then because I totally forgot. It, it's, it's, it's the fiber of my being. And I don't think, I mean, I think I could walk away from what appears to be the spiritual path and it, maybe I'm going to, right? I'm retiring in less than six months now. Maybe it will look like Regina quit. There's no way that will ever happen, right? Because that's just how I'm living this life. You know, somebody says something to me and a thought shows up and that thought is seen as a defense or that thought is seen as trying to manipulate or that thought is seen as control. I let it go and I be differently. 
because that's how I live my life. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's, it's, it's deep inside you. There's no questioning it, basically. It's just the way it is for you. And it doesn't even matter if anybody else sees it. That's how you know it's not ego, too. Everybody else cannot notice the work I'm doing within. But then we also talk about there's no separate self, right? So who chose this? I mean, who? Regina didn't choose. That's a good question. Let's just put it this way. The decision got made and now it's being lived. And let's forget about who chose it. So what if I want to choose it for myself? I can't, right? Can I? I would say that if it's time, if it's time, you can't not choose it. That's the way I would put it. Okay. All right. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, you in. We still have time for you. Yay! Go ahead. Well, while I listen to your uh, teaching about the ego and clarity, somehow that David Hawkins' conscious map just keeps showing up. Yeah. So the way I see it is that maybe it's just it's like a shade of ego. It, it's really ego. Is, it's just lighter, maybe after 200 or 250. It's still ego. Maybe get to that 600 or whatever above, there's no more ego. But it's just almost like the code. How one, what motivate the reaction? So it is really more clarity towards upper. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. you That's helpful. Thank you. All right. So are you done then? Okay, Jay. Yeah. Hi, Regina. Um, you just demonstrated several times of self-inquiry. And I, I, I did that many times. But just like, like you uh, uh, explained, I often get stuck with the ultimate... I'm the one who's guilty, and I cannot get past uh, that. Uh, yeah, I know. I've been there. I get that. Um, boy, that's a tough one, too. That's one of the toughest things to transcend. You know it? It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, the whole thought that I'm guilty is wrong, but it is very difficult to see that. Um, one of the things that really helped me to see that, believe it or not, some one day for a reason I don't recall, uh, I was guided to do an internet search on the feeling of guilt. And I came across an article, I think somewhere in my many recordings, it tells what the article was, I don't remember now. But I came across an article where I think it was two guys were explaining that guilt is not what we think it is that the feeling that we call guilt, the feeling that uh, we think means we did something really bad is a natural biological feeling that basically is saying you made a mistake. Look again, this is an opportunity to learn. And that without that feeling, cavemen, if I remember correctly from the article, 
cavemen never even would have learned how to be better hunters. You know, that this feeling that you've got to look again, you've got to learn from what you just did is a part of how the human moves into wisdom. But somewhere along the way, we, you know, interpreted that as I'm bad, I'll always be bad. And that's not what it's there. And in fact, it also reminded me of the, the cartoon Jungle Book by Disney. Uh, what's that guy's name? Mal? What? Mobley. Mobley. Right? Is that it? Mobley? Mobley, of course, you know, was this human child raised in the jungle with the animals. And what was really interesting was he could do things they couldn't do. Like I remember he saved a baby elephant that fell into a hole because he was able to create some kind of a contraption that brought the elephant out. He was able to help the bears get honey because he learned how to cover himself in a kind of armor so he didn't get stung by bees. And as I'm watching this cartoon, I'm realizing, again, the purpose of the human is to become wiser. I mean, animals don't have that purpose. Mowgli had that purpose, right? The purpose of the human is to become wiser. The way that sometimes worded is our job is to raise in consciousness. So if, if the human being was created or evolved for the purpose of becoming wiser and raising in consciousness, we also needed internal triggers that told us when to look again so we could learn a lesson. Think about it. That's all guilt is. So I say something really mean to somebody and I feel guilt. The guilt is not there to tell me I'm bad. The guilt is there to tell me I made a mistake. Look again, inquire into this, become wiser because you're a human being and that's your function is to become wiser. So as I, as I started looking at this, I started noticing it's true that, sure, I did something stupid. <laughs> sure, I listened to my ego. Sure. But the feeling was only interpreted as I'm bad. The feeling was coming to say, look again. And if I would just do that instead of believing it meant I'm bad, then what's happening is I'm embracing the opportunity to become wiser. I'm embracing the opportunity to raise in consciousness. I'm doing my job as a human. Does that help, Jay? Yes. Uh, okay. But how do I know I'm not doing that as a spiritual resistance? Just believe, okay, I, I'm believing I have that thought. Okay, I'm bad. But okay, I do. I look again. How do I know it's not spiritual resistance? Spiritual resistance doesn't look again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer to that. And and we're out of time, so I'm gonna have to let you go. But next okay, week, thank you. I am willing to continue with the questions. All right. So if you have more questions or questions that come up between now and then, we'll look at them next week. But for now, my program is over. Thank you. Bye, bye everyone. I love you and bye.